Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. Uh, that mouse problem, I think the mouse is gone. I've been talking about it the last few weeks, and I just I haven't seen it lately. And that's what scares me, because I know, I don't think it got out of the house. I would have seen if it ran out of the house. But I know, I think it's gone. I'm going to leave food out, like it ate the chips a few weeks ago when Joanne put them out. And it's going to scare the crap out of me. Because, as I said before, when you don't have mice. I've never had mice in my place. She lived here before she moved to LA and we moved back. She never had a mouse here. And then her tenant had for three years had a dog. So somehow this mouse got in. And the thing about mice is they just scare the crap out of you because you don't expect when they're coming out and they just shoot and you jump. So anyway, I, th- I think it may have died. I'm not sure. We will find out. I don't know if it will smell if it died. I put mouse traps up, nothing. So hopefully... We'll sit there and be rid of the mouse. But anyway, we have a, a great show today. We have a very funny guy who actually just played in uh, Ocean City, which I want to hear about that show. My guest is Rocky Laporte. How you doing, Rocky? Hey, buddy. What's going on? Not much. And now, have you ever had a mouse in your house? Have you, have you ever had that problem? Yeah. You know what? Someone, well, in the old days, people would just get a cat, you know? Like, uh, I remember like when I was a kid growing up in the movie theaters, they'd have, some of them had like rats. And then you'd see like a... Uh, like a rat run across the floor, and you see like a couple cats chasing it, you know? And I know some wineries in California have cats to keep the mice out of there. But I heard a more modern thing. Somebody told me that they have these things that you could plug in the wall, and it's supposed to give off some high frequency that's supposed to keep mice away. Did you ever hear about that? No, it was funny. I've, I've never had them before. It's just so weird. It, it popped up out of nowhere. We just moved back in May from L.A. to New Jersey. And... My girl, her condo never had mice, and it's just the weirdest thing ever, and they scare the crap out of you. And then they sit there, and there's the traps where you can catch them and then let them outside. But I'm thinking, what if I let him outside and he comes back in again? So, yeah, yeah. So, so you. Well, there's plenty more where they come from, so I'm okay with, like, you know, right. getting rid of them, you know? So now, now you play. I, I wanted to talk to you. I know you played in Ocean City just recently. Uh, was it out in the pier? Or was it, what, that was July, the 1st of July, right? Uh, I think it was the third. I think it was the day before. I believe it was the day before. Whatever that Saturday well, it was, the second. I believe it was July second or what was that? It was a Saturday. It was the first before the fourth of July. Anyway, how, how does it? How did it go? That you're outside, right? So what's it like performing outside? You know what, Steve? I thought it was going to be an outdoor gig, and it was. It was the. It was enclosed. The music pier was enclosed, which was thank God because man, outdoor gigs are horrible. Now, you grew up in, you were born in Brooklyn, you moved to Chicago. When did you, when did you start falling in love with comedy? Were you, did you always know you wanted to do comedy or how did your whole path drive you to this business? Well, you know, you know, it's so fun. I remember like when I was a kid, like, uh, just staying up late and watching like Carlin and, you know, Bill Cosby before he was drugging people, you know, (laughs) watching, watching all those guys on the Tonight Show. But I, I never put it together that you could do that for a living. Like, I just enjoyed these guys, and I enjoyed making people laugh. Like, I didn't know, like, that was a job you could pick, you know? It was like, I don't know, but I was a, I was a weird kid anyway. But I kept getting in trouble in school, you know? Like, just involves, like, uh, you know, a lot, you know, you always get that annoying kid in school that he'd disrupt the class, and then, you know, they'd say, go to the principal's office. Well, I know... When I saw the teacher laughing, I go, oh, maybe, like, I got something here, you know? Like, because she wasn't mad. She would just say, go in the hall, 
And then uh, I'd be in the hall, and I'd be thinking of stuff to do for, you know, when I got back in the room. It's like, hey, second show, you know. So you started doing that. Now, just, I mean, what did you, what was your path, though, after, like, in high school? What did you want to do when you were in high school? I mean, I know you, you didn't make the correlation, but, like, when you were senior high school, what were your plans? Uh, meet girls. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have long-term goals. I was like, uh, you know, it's so weird. I dropped out of, I only went a year and a half of high school. I dropped out of the middle of my sophomore year. I was like 16. And it was 1975. And Vietnam was winding down that year. And I just, I, you know what? I was never much for school. And I just, so I got some stuff to say that I was older. And I went in the Army. And... Oh man, that was uh, I was 16 years old, and all my drill charges were from Vietnam. That was like an eye opener. Yeah, what was that? I mean, what was that? That, must have been, that must have been crazy because you're you're still a kid, and these guys see in action. I mean, that must have been pretty pretty intense. Oh, it was insane. And I was in there with guys like that. Uh, they go, well, you go to jail, or you go in the army. Like now, you can't have any felonies or none of that stuff. Like I was in there with guys that didn't want to be in there. Like they were, you know, drinking cough medicine and you know taking a dump on the bed like they were doing anything to get out of there and here's me like an idiot trying to get in there you know but it, it helped me it like it turned me around and i remember making people like uh you know when you're in boot camp you're not supposed to even talk in the mess hall you know i don't know how it is now but back then you were just supposed to be quiet and eat and uh i was making everybody laugh so this drill sergeant made me get up and like front of like you know like the whole company, probably about two, three hundred guys, and I, I had to stand there and laugh for a half hour. And anybody that laughed had to join me. So there was about fifty of us idiots up there laughing like an idiot for a half. You know how hard it is to laugh for a half hour. I know, man. It's even at comedy clubs. You know, the cloud, the crowd stops, it starts. I mean, laughing, and you sit there and you don't think about it because you go, "Oh yeah, I saw that movie. I laughed my ass off." But you're like, "Well, yeah, you laugh intermediately. You don't sit there and laugh because it makes you sound like a damn crazy person." Well, that's the other fifty crazy of us up there laughing like for half hour straight, and those, oh my god! So I don't know. It just seemed like I was always, you know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I oh, don't know. No, finish. I was always like making people laugh, and just I don't know. I thought, well, maybe I got something here, you know. So uh, I ended up coming home. Well, they found out I was sixteen, you know. So they gave me an honorable discharge. They said, just come back when you're older, you know. And uh, so uh, I started driving a truck and working on the docks, and I started delivering to prisons, believe it or not. Do you believe that? Well, what were you delivered? What would you deliver to prisons? Like, whatever they needed. You know, like, they need everything just like, uh, you know, like a hospital or, uh, you know, like they would need medical supplies and cause just anything, like anything uh, uh, a place would need. And we were bringing all kinds of stuff, but most of it was like, Created and wrapped, like I guess they didn't want it open because you know obviously there's people over there breaking into stuff. <laughs> but I remember, uh, can you swear on this show? Yeah, or sure. No? Yeah. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just repeating what happened. I'm in a trailer with this guy, and uh, you know, his big, thick neck, tattoos all over, and you know, the guy in the forklift was, you know, we're throwing stuff on on the crates and they'd come in and pull them out on the skids with the forklift. I mean, we were all alone in the trailer and he's asking me how it was on the outside. And I go, what did, what did you do, buddy? What are you in for? And he 
we're like three feet away from each other. And he goes, and I goes, because my wife was messing around on me. He goes, so I chopped her fucking head off. <laughs> yeah. And he's looking at me and I go, women. <laughs> what do you say to a guy like that? I mean, it's like, oh my God. I mean, it's like, it's strange because we don't, you know, no matter where we've been, we don't sit there, we don't encounter i don't encounter murderers you know daily and, and when you're around it you're like because you know anything when you're young you're like holy crap wait and you think they're bullshitting that's like i used to go to this bar in burbank and the bouncer goes oh the bartender i knew goes oh yeah and um yeah and then his ba- the bouncer there uh, he's just got out and i said really because i'd see him around he goes yeah he shot his wife in the head and i'm like what you know and you go, holy really? crap. Yeah, I guess he was. He only served five years. I don't know what happened, but you, we're not used to that. You're not used to seeing that with people. Holy shit. How do you get off five years from your wife like that? You don't ask people questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you might not want this information out there. Some people might be thinking of doing it. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> like five years. Oh, man. So, so you're driving a truck, and then you're doing this. Now, okay, when do you decide to get on stage? Well, actually, uh, uh, you know, I was, I was delivering to prisons, and I was delivering to a lot of places, and there was a place, uh, it was in the mall, I was delivering some furniture to a mall, and uh, a, a lady was working there, she was managing this store, and I used to make, I used to make her howl, like she would just, you know, and it was kind of like an uppity store, and uh, one time this lady, I had her laughing so hard, she had a skirt on, she was sitting like on this chair it was like a couch and she was laying on there laughing hysterical with her legs up in the air and like this snooty lady comes in and she goes this is like this is absurd she goes where's the manager and i'm like that's her over there like laying on the couch laughing so uh she's the one who said she goes did you ever think of doing comedy and steve i I swear to god it was almost like uh what do you call it an epiphany it was like a light like I'm like, why didn't I ever think of that? Like, why didn't I put that together? And it was like, the, um, it was like, it was 1988. It was like comedy was in its, you know, still booming. And I couldn't believe like why I never, re- like someone else had to point that out to me. And I called around and I saw they had, they had an open mic night at the Funny Bone here in Chicago. And it was that night. And I went and I went on stage, and I did really well. And the guy goes, how long have you been doing comedy? And I go, about five minutes. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, well, come back this week, and I want to have you on again. And, man, I just started, I was, you know, back then, it was like four or five open mic nights. You can go to every, you know, every week. Uh, there's a bunch of clubs here, and I was going up as much as I can. And I don't know, I just, I kind of moved up fast, and I worked real hard, and... I got some breaks, and I got I got little parts on. So I got a part on a Cheers, and I had a little, well, you know, a, a, it was just a one-time thing. And then, uh, you know, I was doing, like, all these little shows, like Cat Sajak, and then they had Evening at the Improv. You remember those? Yeah, I remember reading it at Comedy on the Road. Now, where were you finding your material from? I mean, what was your writing style back then, and, and what were you, I mean... What did you put, you know, you went off on that first time, the guy said, you look like you've been on stage, and you've been worldly, you've done some stuff, so what? where were you finding your material from, and, and did you did writing come easily to you? Uh, well, you, know, you want to know something weird? Like, when I was driving a truck, before I even knew I was going to do comedy, 
when something funny, anytime anything, I thought of something funny or something funny happened to me, I would pull over. I remember pulling an 18-wheeler over on the side of the highway and writing down, I didn't even know what I was going to use it for. Like, this was before I got into comedy. Like, I just thought, oh, maybe I could tell, like, a funny story for my friends or, you know, it was so weird, but I guess that was meant to be then, you know what I mean? Like, I found later, I go, holy cow, like, this is why I've been writing all this stuff down, you know? So you're writing it down. You start doing, as you said. Now, how are you getting these shows? Because were you still based in Chicago, and were you? How are we getting the auditions? I know, you know, back then, because I used to do comedy in the late '80s. I mean, late late uh-huh. '80s, early '90s. But I was out of Philadelphia. But I know, like you said, the Funny Bone. The Funny Bone had so many clubs back then. Were they just sending? I used to play the one on South Street in Philly. Okay, see, I I was I was generation. Not generation. We used to have the Comedy Factory out in Comedy Works. Then they had the one in Philly. But when did you start going on the road a lot, or or how did you start getting known that you were getting the Pat Sajak show or even the Improv? Um, there was Caroline's. There was so many of them. Yeah, I was doing Caroline's Comedy Club Hour. Um, I think back then they were just looking for bodies. You know, it was so weird. Like because they had so many shows to fill. But um, I, I started out. You know, I had this guy that uh, owned the club in Chicago and he kind of was kind of managing me a little bit and I started in February 88 and I was driving a truck during the day and we had a couple kids at the time I think I had two or three uh, at that point and I was making 300 a week like busting my ass like loading freight on semis and then driving all day and unloading them and I was making 300 a week and that's what they were paying MCs at the time so I go, you know what, if I can make the same amount and not break my back, like, uh, that's what I'm going to do. So and I, I started in February, and in October that year, I quit my day job, and all my friends, my wife at the time was the only one that supported me, you know, like everybody else goes, you're crazy, and like, you know, what are the odds of making it, and there's so much competition, and and in my mind, I go, you know what, I can always drive a truck, I can always come back to this, like, it'll always be there. Like, I wanted to take a chance. I want to, I don't think you could do, like, one foot in, one foot out. You know what I mean? Like, when you're, uh, to me, that's harder, you know? Like, if you have a day job and you're trying to do comedy, it's like, I think you have to commit to comedy full time to be good at it, you know? Right. And so I quit in, in October, and I just started, you know, calling around, like, calling these bookers, and, you know, starting to emcee at these little clubs, and sleeping in crappy condos or I slept in my car, I slept in airports. Like it was rough in the beginning, you know, and I had little ones. So I, there was like no going back. Like I had to, and it just kind of took off. And then I don't know, like I, there was a contest in Chicago. It's called the WGN comedy bowl. And I was doing comedy like uh, a year and I came in like second place. And it was on local TV here, and I started getting some heat. And then some guy from L.A. that he was a newspaper reporter, he wanted to manage people. He picked me up, and I started working with him. And then he started getting me auditions for these shows for Caroline's and even at the Improv. And now, were you, audi- I, I did. were you auditioning out of L.A. or were you auditioning out of Chicago? How would you get the auditions for these shows? Uh, it was out of Chicago, but, uh, you know, back then, a lot of times you just, you have to send in a, a VHS tape of your act. You remember that? Like, everybody goes, I need a tape. Right. You'd have to send all these club owners a uh, tape. And the Funny Bones, they had about 15 clubs at the time. 
and you just have to go down to St. Louis, which was their headquarters, and you would have to audition for them down there. And if they like you, you could work their whole circuit, you know. So when you started working their circuit, how long did you till you started? climbing up the ranks, you know, because it's, you know, you know how it is with bookers, they go, oh, well, like you always say, in your area, you know, it's hard to become a feature, you have to go out on the road and come back, when, how long did it take you to start moving up the ranks in the funny bone after you started getting the MC work? Well, you know what, I was kind of, I'm not like tooting my horn, but I worked hard and I was pretty funny, and I moved up to feature like pretty quick. And this guy, his name was Ed Hellenbrand. He used to own a club over here called uh, the Comedy Cottage. Okay. Well, this this guy gave me the best advice. He kept making me MC, and even though I was featuring everywhere else, you know, and everybody wants to move up, move up. And if if any comics or young guys are listening to this, like this, this was gold to me. He said, "Listen to me." He goes, "Being a com-, he goes, uh, it's like building a building." He goes, "Like being an MC." Because that's your foundation. Because if your foundation is not strong, the whole building's going to be weak. And he said, if you can MC, you can do anything. And and he was right. Like I've seen an MC tank a good audience. Like you know, like they can start to show off and just put it right in a shitter. You know. Well, yeah, it's funny because yeah. Go ahead. Uh, no, so he kept making me MC, and he goes, you know what? When you like, that's the progression. Like you MC, then you middle, then you headline. He said, but you know what? When you become a really good headliner, you go back to opening again for big acts, which is what I started doing. I started opening for like Louis Anderson and George Wallace and guys like that. Like you, you go full circle. And then if you become a really good like host or MC, you start hosting things like Billy Crystal and Steve Martin, how they host, you know what I'm saying? Like all those shows, like that was the best advice I got. The guy goes, keep MCing and you'll, you'll, you'll be so happy you did. Like you're building a strong foundation. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, and, and I agree, you know, if you can host, you can always do well. I mean, I, I don't really perform much, but when I moved back here, my friend Joe Matteris was playing in Helium and he needed someone. He said, oh, I know Joe. Yeah. I, I grew up with Joe. And, uh, I, I said, um, Hey man, I said, uh, he goes, yeah, I get me on the host. And so, I knew how to host. I mean, I was rusty. I was only on stage once in the last six months, but I went on in that first show. And the first show Thursday was good, you know? And then he had some other yeah. gig on Friday, but the Saturday, that's the thing, it came back, it was hosting. And you sit there and you go, you know what? Just get him to like you. You do well. You're not going to do as well as a feature. I mean, because you set yeah. him up, you set the table, and you're right. A person, once you host, you can come back anytime and do it. And, and a good host contains the tempo of the show and a lot of people don't know that a lot of people just think i want to get straight to a feature well you know what that doesn't happen because even when you're headlining it's like hosting when those checks go out people don't understand that you know it's like you have to get the interaction but but that's very that's that's great advice that guy gave you yeah oh you're absolutely right you know in canada i guess they do that they put their they put the weak guy in the middle like they put their strong guy up like he'll host and sometimes the guy's like a middle or another headliner and they put him there, and then they put the weak guy in the middle, and then another headliner, which it's not a bad, you know, uh, thing, you know? Right, because it's, it's the guy in the middle. Well, the middle's always a cake position. If you have a strong yeah. MC, it's just <laughs> you, you're walking through it. It warms up a You know, here in Chicago at Zany's, like, uh, they'll have a headliner host a show for a month, like, because, you know, these guys want to stay home and not be on the road. So there's three Zany's. So most of the time, the host has been a headliner that's been doing it 20, 30 years, 
and he'll he'll open the show just so he could be home. And man, what a great show it makes, you know? Oh yeah. So now, now you you, you were on the road with the Funny Bone, and you were doing the auditions for TV. When was your what was your actual? Do you remember your first TV show that you did stand up on? Uh, it was probably that WGN Comedy Bowl here in Chicago, and I was only doing it a year. And it was at um, Second City downtown. They shot it. And, you know, at the time, WGN was a super station, so it kind of aired all over the country. And then I did, like, you know, they were shooting Caroline's on A&E and then Evening at the Improv, and one was in New York and one was L.A., so I was going back and forth. I probably shot, like, two or three Caroline's, and I think I did three or four uh, Evening at the Improv's. And then Jamie Masada at the Laugh Factory. Remember, they used to have something called Friday Night Live or something like that. Do you remember that? Like, not, not sure. Was a, There's yeah, so many it was of them. a comedy show. Yeah, it was on like midnight on ABC or something like that. Okay, okay. And I, I was just getting a lot of exposure early on, you know, and that that really helped me, you know. And people got to know who I was, and I got a little bit of a following. Now, as you're working, I know you end up doing the, the Tonight Show a bunch of times. How did that come about? How did you uh, get that? Was that a process for you, or was that was that an easy yeah. gig? Well, you know what happened? I was on, uh, my manager's told me, it was the second year of Last Comic Standing. Like, that fan won the first year. Right. And uh, so the second year, I went on, and then they were picking the top ten, and then it got down to one more spot, and I go, I go, I got this. I had a really good set, and they took the strip. Like I lost to a stripper. It's like, are you kidding me? Like I don't mind losing to a good comic, but it's like she wasn't even doing comedy. Like they just wanted types back then, you know. And I was like, oh man, I got screwed. But the the two of the guys that were the judges, they were. Uh, it was Ross Mark and. Um, forgot his partner's name but anyway they booked the tonight show these guys and they said hey that set you did we'd like to see it for the tonight show so me getting it seems like every time a door closed for me another one opened like it was just like you're not supposed to go that way you know i'm learning to accept things like when stuff like that happens so i didn't get it i lost to a stripper but i ended up getting the tonight show out of that I did the Tonight Show, and I got a standing ovation. Now, how does that happen? I mean, like you don't. I know it's always. Well, I know when Carson was on, it was a big thing to get the couch. But I have never heard of a standing ovation on the Tonight Show. And what do you do? Because it's like you want to be humble, but you also got to say you want to sit there and go, "Holy shit! I just got a standing ovation." I mean, how, what happened? When, oh. Did you feel? First of all, when you went on stage, did you feel? Did you feel the magic when you're hitting stage, or were, were you not sure? Or what was your? What, what was going through your mind when? You're oh, getting man, I was tonight? nervous. I was like, I, I actually took like a half a Xanax before I went out because like, I was so nervous. Well, you know what happened? This was my third, I got bumped. The first time I got bumped, I was there and they bumped me. Then I was supposed to be gone again. I got bumped again. And this was my third time. So I was like, I kind of was like over the nerves, but not really. Like it was still the Tonight Show, you know? And then Leno came back and he was listening. They want you to do good. Just remember that. He was. They want you to do good and have fun, you know. But I was still like a wreck. And I went out there, and maybe about, maybe about one minute into my set, 
I, it hit me. I go, I'm on the Tonight Show, and I'm doing really good. Not only was I getting big laughs, I was getting applause breaks. And you could see on the tape, like, about one minute in, I take a deep breath, and I went, like, and my shoulders went down, and then I was, I was like a horse. I was going, I'm on the loose, man. Like, I... I think I, I was telling new guys that don't forget to breathe. Like if you're nervous, because you you know what I mean, you start breathing shallow. You know, Steve. Like when you get nervous, you're you're not breathing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I remember taking a breath, and then it hit me. I go, I'm on a Tonight Show, and I'm I'm doing great. So I did. It was like I think five and a half minutes. I was getting applause breaks and huge laughs, and I had a great set, and then. I'm walking, you know, Leno calls me over. I'm walking back to the desk to shake his hand. And he told me, he was turn around. You're getting a standing ovation. And I turned around, and I was so shocked. I was telling people to sit down. Like, how stupid was that? <laughs> like, instead of taking it in, I, I didn't know what to do. I was, like, almost, like, embarrassed, you know. And and then I was going to sit down and do panel. And he goes, oh, he goes, we ran out of time. He goes, Rocky, like, you know, come again. Like, you know, and. But it was it was like a car accident. Like everything, you know, it happened so fast, and and like later on, you remember like bits and pieces. You know what I'm saying? Like it comes back to you in little pieces. You know. Now, after that happened, what happened with your career? Did you start getting a lot of run? I mean, you were already happening, but did people go, "Holy crap, this guy just got a standing L on the Leno show"? Or what? Where did your you know, what did that do for your stand up? And is that you said you'd open for a bunch of other people? Is that when you started to open for? The bigger acts? Yeah, yeah, like Louis Anderson and guys like that. I opened for Carlin a couple times. Uh, like, too, like us, uh, The Temptations and Smokey Robinson and stuff like that. And, um, uh, what was I going to tell you about? I'm going to tell you something about Dom Irera. Because I know Dom really well, and, um, I know a bunch of Philly guys uh, that were out of Philly. And, um, Dom was a good influence on me too. Like he's a he's a funny guy. You know Dom, don't you? Right. Yeah, I met him a few times. Yeah, he's he's a funny guy. Uh, but anyway, you want to know something really funny? Okay, so I do the Tonight Show. Things are great. You know, they pick you up in a limo. Like they, it's like the full thing. You know, it's the red carpet treatment. Well, a week later, I had this gig. It was up in the mountains, and it was at a fire hall up in Pennsylvania. Like you know, because your gigs are booked like six months out. You know. And uh, I get off the plane. It was like someone's parents, like 50th anniversary. So all these people were like in their 70s. <laughs> and I get off the airplane and I'm in my sweats and a cap. And they go, hey, they go, the gigs, it's like right now. Like you have to go. Like, I didn't know it was in the day. I just assumed it was that night. They go, no, everybody's waiting for you at this fire hall, you know. So I'm in this lady's basement in Pittsburgh. I'm washing my head in her sink and her and her husband's ironing my shirt to get to this gig. And I'm like, I was in a tonight show last week. Now I'm in somebody's basement in Pittsburgh and I'm washing my head in their sink running to get do a gig for somebody's fiftieth anniversary, you know? Now now after the okay, so I mean I know that's so funny, people always tell stories like that and it's true. But what was it like for you when you started opening for some of these like the temptations and these different people? What was it like playing in the big venues? When you know, when you're a club, you know, you, you, your your chops were from a club, you know, and now you start playing in front of a bigger yeah. venue. How did you adapt to that? Well, uh, a lot of advice I got from guys that did it. They just said go slow. Like you can go slower in a theater because it's 
bigger in the last full row. Like in a club, you're used to like just pounding them, pounding them because they're you're so close and intimate. But in a th- and it was so much fun because you could relax and take your time, and then you could, you know, it was such a huge stage. You use the stage, you walk around a little bit, and and you would if you rushed, you would actually step on your laughs because you know all the people were laughing. So I learned to slow down in a theater, and it was it's a really rich experience. You know, it's just uh, it's very exciting to play for that many people. You know. Yeah, so you're playing, you're on the road, you do the Tonight Show, you do all that. Are, are you living in, still living in Chicago, or did you move into L.A., or what What was... Yeah, we were living in L.A. at that time. We're, uh, you know, me and my wife and my kids were all out there. We're living in Orange County, and, you know, that's where I raised my kids. And then we got divorced a little bit after that, and then, uh, you know, my ex moved back to Chicago with the kids, and that's why I moved back. But then... What was happening at that time, too, was, uh, you know, I had two development deals for sitcoms. One was with CBS, one was with ABC. The first time I got mine, the the uh, the actors went on strike. So and then a few years later, my second deal, the writers went on strike. I'm like, are you kidding me? So, what so, are the odds of that happening? Yeah, I know. So you got the development deal. Now, now when you got the, the first one... Did they did they want to do a show based on your actor, or were they just a holding deal? Or I mean, how did how did that happen? Did they come up to you and say, "Hey, you know," or, or your management say, "We want Rocky for a show"? Or I mean, how did that pan out? Yeah, they invited uh, you know they invited out like you know people from the network, like you know like talent scouts, like from all the different networks. And uh, Maria Crenna, who's Richard Crenna, the actor, his daughter worked for CBS at the time. And she came out and she liked me. So they signed me to a development deal, you know. And um, Les Moonves, who's the head of CBS, uh, they had a pilot, you know. They go, hey, we want you to... They, they let you meet with writers. I met with like seven writers. And then it, it was so weird, Steve. Like, you know what I felt like? This is the best I could explain it, like, I met with seven writers, and then they told me the writer that I was going to go with. So I was like, so why did you let me meet? Because <laughs> the guy that they hooked me up with, he was the guy I liked the least. I think he got me. But they go, go with somebody that gets you, you know? And I felt like I was on a car lot, and they go, you can have any car you want, but you're going to leave in the blue one. Right. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's what I felt like. Because, well, that's actually what happened, you know, to be honest. Like, that's kind of what happened, like, a couple guys had some really great ideas, and I, I picked them as my first, second, and third choices, and I got none of them. They gave me the guy that, you know, they thought I should have, and I didn't I didn't like the pilot. Like, I thought it was shit, and, you know, Les Moonbrow was going, he actually told me this. He goes, this, this, this pilot's a hit. He goes, it's going to be on, on Monday nights between King and Queen and Raymond, you know? He goes, this, and I go, this thing ain't even fucking funny, you know? It's like, and the guy wouldn't like hardly have like let me have any input, and I just and it didn't. Well, they went on strike anyway that year, and it didn't go anyway, which I was glad because you know I didn't I didn't think it was that good. Well, now when your second he said, go ahead. Oh, no, so when your second one came up, were you? Oh well, yeah, my second one was with ABC. I off. No, 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 I was going to say, when your second one, did you go in with the, with the same, were you, did you feel, not tainted, but a little like, oh, I hope the same crap doesn't happen again, or what, I mean, how did that go? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. 
But you know what's so funny with the with the ABC Disney deal? Uh, there was these, they had like these, these younger girls were like the gatekeeper. You know, like we had to kind of impress them to get to the higher ups. Well, there was such an age gap there. They were so young. And so we were pitching some show ideas to them. And I go, well, it's kind of like a, a welcome back Potter for adults. And both these girls looked at each other. Me and my managers knew right away to go, they don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, they didn't even know Welcome Back, Cotter. And you think if you're in the TV industry, you have an idea of the history of television shows that, you know, like sitcoms. And I don't know, like, they, well, anyway, it didn't matter anyway if they liked the idea or not because uh, the writers went on strike that year and then they just started putting all reality shows on and then there was no more. Like, you know, it was so much cheaper to do Housewives in New Jersey that was to do like Raymond, Tim Allen, Friends, like pay all those people those millions of dollars, you know, it was cheaper to get a couple crazy people to yell at their husbands, you know. You know, it's, I mean, it's just weird, the bad luck, but were you looking forward to acting or did you want to do stand-up? I mean, did you ever really want to act or did you sit there and just, were you a comic? I mean, were you a comics comic or did you sit there and go, I want to act? Because everyone comic, you know, when we start go, hey, if we get a sitcom, it'd be great. But a lot of comics nowadays go after just the sitcom. They do comedy, they do a sitcom. You did comedy for the love. So did you, what was yeah. what, what was going through your mind? Were you thinking, like I know a lot of comics think, well, if I get a, a sitcom, that means I can play big venues and I can get parlay it that way. What was going through your mind when, you know, when you were getting these offers? What was, what, what That's, was... Uh, yeah, you're right about that. I think, I think it was more of a means to an end. Like, I didn't get into it to act. And uh, I actually ended up liking, uh, you know, I've done a couple little movies, and I actually loved movies way better than sitcoms. Like, to me, sitcoms were like, it was just like uh, high pressure. There was a lot going on you had to learn a lot in a little bit of time like every week like i didn't like the format it wasn't like uh comfortable well that was just for me movies i loved i i thought movies were fun like you you had time to you know goof around on the set learn your lines you know figure things out like it was just so much more easier for me but no but i but i did think that i go well if i do get you know a part on a sitcom and you get you know noticed then you don't have to, because you know what, after a while, the clubs, they beat you down, man, like you're, you know, you would only be in a club so long, I've been on the road 29 years, you know, and I, I love it, and I love making people laugh, but uh, the clubs beat you up after a while, you know, and flying, and getting up early doing press, and, you know, I mean, I'm not complaining, there's worse jobs, but I think it's harder than people think, too, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the old thing, it's, you know, you're, you're have to, all that time to travel and get there. When you're there, it's great. But then after, you know, after a while, it does get monotonous. Now, now you said the, how the clubs and stuff like that. Now, your Comedy Central, you, you did a Comedy Central Presents. What year was that and how did that come about? And did you tape it over two nights or how did that work? Oh, you know what? That was another thing. Um, they, that's what they used to do. They used to give you two shows. They used to give you two shots at it and take the best from each one and then... I think I did mine in, uh, I don't know what, I don't know if it was 02 or 04. I don't even remember, to be honest. It might have even been later. But, um, we, it was one, you had one shot, and it was, and it was, uh, we did it in a theater in New York, and I was up, it was like at six, at, 
it was at six o'clock. It was still light out, and the air conditioner was broke. It was in August. I was like, oh, man. So people were sweating, and they were like in a shit mood. And this guy that was supposed to do audience warm-up, he did about five minutes, and they brought me up, and they and they go, this is it. We're, you're hot. It's live, and we're going. So it was like, wow. But it was well-received. And, uh, Don, oh, that's what I was going to tell you. Don Myrera was the one that told me that he goes, I got more fans from Comedy Central than I did from The Tonight Show. Because The Tonight Show, they really only run it once, where Comedy Central, they'll, they'll keep replaying it, and more people you're exposed to, you know? Right. And then how I got my second, this is how ABC found out about me. Right after they were shooting all these Comedy Central things, uh, there was a contest to pick the top, I think it was the top 100, I don't know if you remember that, that year they were doing the top 100 countdowns. Okay, yeah. The top. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. And everybody got to vote online, and I came in second. I, I lost out to Dane Cook, who was like, nobody was going to beat Dane Cook that year anyway, but I beat out a lot of other guys that had like great specials, you know, and I came in second, and, you know, ABC goes, oh, well, this guy seems like he's well-received, and, you know, the public likes him, and that's how I ended up getting the deal with ABC, you know, but then the the writers went on strike that year, and there went that, you know. Now, the whole time, though, you, I mean, you're resilient because, you know, you're a comic. Now, now the, didn't you, didn't Tim Allen put you in a movie after working with you or something like that? Yeah, you know what happened, actually? He saw me on The Tonight Show, and uh, I guess he was at home. He saw me on The Tonight Show, and he goes, oh, this guy. So at the time, him and I, we never met, but we had the same management, believe it or not. And he asked Rick Messina, he goes, hey, look, this Rocky guy's pretty funny. So he asked me to do a benefit for him in Los Angeles, and I did it. And he goes, hey, he goes, come down next week. We're shooting a movie. I'm going to put a little partner for you. I go, Really? So he got me in the movie The Shaggy Dog, you know, I played a cop in there, and it was fun, man, it was, I had a lot of fun, and then he, he put me in another movie called uh, Crazy on the Outside with Ray Liotta and Sigourney Weaver, and it was kind of, it was neat, man, and, you know, he, he's been very good to me, Tim Allen, you know? See, that's always good, well, that's just because also he's a comic, you know, and I, and I think a lot of times, you know, he's at the level where he, he appreciates probably good comedy. And I know he probably gets a lot of people that the studios want to book, but I think now that he's at that level, he can say, hey, I want this guy to pop into my show. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, another thing I wanted to tell you about, like this was, uh, and if, you know, like a lot of young comics are listening, remember I was telling you about how a door closes and another one opens? Right. Um, well, the first time I got knocked off, like I lost to the stripper on, um, you know, uh, Last Comic Standing. So, uh, the next year, they go, like, they go, hey, tell Rocky to come back. Like, we know he got jammed last year. And and then I think the next year, I think I lost a guy, like, in a monkey suit. He had a grill suit on, and he didn't even do comedy. He was, like, jumping around. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. So then, but then, oh, then I got the movie with Tim Allen. Like, so it was like every time something didn't happen for me, something did, you know? 
Well, I think that's that's the sign. I, I always say, you know, that's what it takes. If you, if you have talent, that's going to happen. You know, it's like anything. A lot of people will bitch that, oh, this person got the break, you know, right away. Yeah, but that person wasn't ready, and they went up and they screwed it up, and you never hear from them again. I think it's I think yeah, talent can reward. Man. Now, now you also you 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 travel with Drew Carey to entertain the troops. What was that like? Everyone says traveling to entertain the troops is so rewarding, but it's also scary as all hell. Oh man, we went. Uh, it was uh, it was about two or three weeks before they caught Saddam Hussein. Then we were in his hometown of Tikrit, and we were on a trailer bed in a soccer field with about 5,000 troops, and we had to wear flak jackets and helmets. And the whole time, like for two, you just hear gunfire and artillery fire. Like you went to sleep. It was like, bah, 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 bah. And um, I was on stage. I go, you think it's bad here? I go, I was just in Detroit for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All the Michigan people booed, but everybody else laughed. But uh, it was great to do, man. It's something that you go, wow, like you just feel proud of your country and just the, you know, like there's all these people coming together for a great cause. And the, the weirdest thing about that, Steve, was the troops would come up to you and go, man, you have no idea what this means to us. And, and I was like, you know, I'm like, buddy, like we get to go home. Like you guys got to stay here and fight and like, you're the guys that are doing that. Like, we're here because of you guys. Like, it ain't the other way around. Like, you know, we're we're thanking you, man. You don't have to thank us. Like, we're, it's an honor to do that for them, you know? Now, how many times have you done, how many times have you done the troops? Uh, two. I've been to Iraq twice, but I've done almost every military base here in the States. Like, uh, my friend used to do this thing. It was, called, it was a Miller Lite sponsor. It was called Comics on Duty. And we did it, like, Air Force, Army, Navy, every base, Marines, around 29 Palms, and every every base you could think of, I've probably been there, you know? When you go to one of those bases, is your mind frame different that, one, you know, a lot of these guys are young and scared? Two, there's an age difference. You know, we always say, you know, I mean, true, they're not the millennial hipsters out there, but they're young guys. I mean, did you think that they're just... They're just anticipating comedy, and do the crowds really get you when they're even younger at these bases? And a lot of these guys, you know, they're not going to admit it, but a lot of them are probably crapping themselves because they may be going to see service. Oh, yeah, yeah. Overseas, it was like, uh, I think they were just happy to see something other than the day-in, day-out drudgery. Like, it was like a great entertainment for them. You know, it was like taking a shower, you know, like some of those guys didn't even get to do that that much when they first got there out in the desert. But here in the States, the funny thing is, uh, like, sometimes we would do uh, a show for the officers, and it was all officers and their wives, and it was, like, in a nicer, like, it was in the officers' club, and, you know, they had, like, nice food and all that. And then you do it for the enlisted men, and it's, like, a lot of rowdy kids in a bar, and they're, like, drunk, and everybody's yelling. It's like a bar gig, you know, some of them, you know, on some of the bases. So you've got both worlds, you know. What's it like performing with? A, I, I cannot imagine what it would be like performing with a flap jacket and a helmet on. I mean, that's that's just got to be. I mean, you're, is your timing off? I mean, what's going through your head too? You're, you must be thinking, "Holy crap!" Well, you're glad you got it on if something flies your way, you know. But uh, <laughs> and you know what though, the good, they tried to protect you really well because I guess it would look really, really bad if you know an entertainer got hurt, you know. 
And I guess that would be a great coup for the other side or or maybe your own troop side because your axe is so bad. How would that be bad, right? <laughs> You're like, this guy sucks. <laughs> but uh, one time we were flying in these, um, uh, where was helicopters? Oh, we were flying in Blackhawk helicopters, you know, going from gig to gig, and they would always have an Apache escort us. Well, one time, the Apache, it wouldn't start, and we had to get to this next base. So we went unescorted on one hop, you know? And that was a little hairy because, you know, it's just, you're in Iraq, you're an American, they didn't like you. It was just, you know, so it was a little scary. I could imagine. So now you're, you're, you're working, you're, you're going overseas, you're doing all this. And then a few years ago, you were in Last Comic Standing. What made you go back after losing to a stripper and losing to a gorilla? And I'll be honest, I mean, you know, I'm not going to go into the year, but I remember one year I was watching it, and um, I saw the guy who won beat Todd Glass and Rich Voss, who are both killer comedians. And I was like, what the hell is this crap? Like, what made you decide to go back? Was it because, I mean, as you said, you were established. It's It's... You know, I know it's a big prize and stuff like that, but it's also, and you know how comics are, probably some comics were like, what what the hell's Rocky doing here? He's been on The Tonight Show. I mean, how did you end up getting on the last, on that last, on the one you did it in 2014? I mean, as you said, you had two bad experiences. Did you have to audition or did you say, we'd love to have you? No, they asked me, um, they asked me to do it and I kind of go, well, you know, but you know what I heard? Like, when they were getting like a lot of young guys, like the a lot of younger guys, they didn't have like six or seven T like sets. Like sometimes you have to have like maybe seven TV sets, like seven five minute sets to do. Like if you keep going further and further rounds. So I think the network goes, well, we have to have some veterans in here to kind of, you know what I mean? Like tie up the ends, you know, like today guys like me and Jimmy Schubert and, you know, guys that have been doing it forever. And they, they asked me and I kind of go, you know what? I told my manager, I go, I don't, you know what, I, I had bad experiences on that show, I really don't want to do it again. And they go, well, no, like, well, Wanda Sykes is going to be part of it, and it's supposed to be, like, a level playing field, and it's going to be more about comedy, not, like, you know, before they wanted, like, oh, we want the hot chick, and we're going to get the, the, the black guy and the midget, like, they wanted, right. like, types, and they wanted conflict, you know, and I'm like, I don't want to do all that shit, I just want to do stand-up, I just want to be funny and make people laugh. So they told me, no, no, that's what it's going to be like. That's what it's going to be like, you know. So even though like it, it wasn't 100%, it was still better than it was in the past year. Like at least we didn't have to live in a house or, you know, do goofy shit like that. But they made you do some goofy shit. And I think they wanted you to have conflict, but I wasn't fighting. You know, I didn't I didn't want to do that. That's what I was. I wasn't there for that. You know, I didn't want to cause drama and all that stuff. And I think that's what they wanted to I felt like we were in a cage and they were poking you with a stick like they wanted to get a reaction out of you you know now now so when you go on I mean it's got to be something for for you to sit there and, and do these short sets and then also get you know the feedback it's like you know when I saw like I saw because I'm friends with Schubert and it's like I watched Jimmy you know and it's like you're sitting there and you guys all you're you're comedy beasts I mean you're you know so for you to do seven minutes or whatever you do three minutes i mean how do you put your act together to do that 
Yeah, it was like you would just go back in your room every night, and then like because you know what they they wanted it. They go, hey, we need your whole set written out like the the next three or they would give you a time. They go, you're doing five minutes tomorrow. Write it all out and email it to us. So you had to put your set together literally the night before. So that's what we're doing. Like and you're, you, and then you're trying to leave stuff for a next set. Like if you get to the next round, you go, well, I don't want to burn all this stuff in this set, and it was kind of like a chess game you know it was kind of they made you think and they, they kept you under the gun and yeah it was it was hard it was really hard and but you know what i came in in the top five out of a hundred and we got the tour like we did a three-month tour on a bus with a broken toilet that was oh god that was another thing but uh all in all, I got a lot of good fans from it, you know? Like, I, I got a lot of good people, even though it was a, it was a pretty rough experience, you know? Well, it, it, I know that it is the fans, and now, especially, you know, a lot of people started more watching it. And uh, basically, when you went on the tour, who did you go on the tour with, and how did they put how you guys would be in order? Well, it was the top five. It was me and Joe Mackey. Uh, Nikki Carr, uh, Rodman won that year, and then it was Lachlan Patterson, who's a Canadian guy. And um, what happened with Rodman would go last every night because he won, and then the first night we went in order. We went 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then every night after that, we rotated. Like, everybody would rotate and move up a slot, so a different person would open every night, you know? Right. And then uh, Rodman always closed the shows, so... That was fun, like rotating. It was it was easier that way, and everybody got a different slot, you know. So you go there, you get new new fans, and now at this time, when you're, after the three month tour, were you? Did you notice that people were recognizing you and going back and seeing some of your old stuff, or did you did you start getting a like people new fans that became became fans of the work that they didn't know of yours? Yeah, it was a little bit of both, Steve. You know, like some people go, oh, I've been following you for years. And other people go, I never heard of you before, but I'm glad I watched this. Like, I'm a fan now. So that was kind of neat. You know, we got, and then they did a little segment. They came here to my house and they stole my kids and my grandkids. And uh, a lot of people, believe it or not, they ended up liking that a lot. They go, oh, we got to know like you a little bit and saw that you're, you know, a good dad and a grandpa. And I think I got some fans from that, believe it or not, you know, like, just people seeing that you're a decent guy, you know? Now, after that, did you start, when you started hitting clubs, did you feel that you got a more fans? I mean, you know, you still, you, you, you did oh, yeah. the clubs, you had a big following, but what was it like right after you got that? And you probably start getting a younger fan base, which, you know, in the state of comedy today, I know a lot of people, you know, they bitch because young kids get upset. They don't like the, you know, they don't, they don't laugh as much. I mean, they, they're uptight. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's it well, like? They're on their phones. Like, that's the thing I, that I hear from most comics. Like, new people, they're like, on, young kids, they're, uh, like, everybody's attention span is so short right now. And, uh, like, they're not even living in the moment. Like, they're, they're at the Grand Canyon. Instead of looking at the Grand Canyon, they're taking little pictures of their, like, it's like, look how big it's right in front of you. What are you looking at your phone for, you know? Yeah, I mean, so so how do you relate to that as a comic? You know, being a guy who came from the trenches when the when the clubs were clubs, man. You know, I mean, the bottom line was people used just to flock out to do comedy, and now you know you see a lot of people they get 
free tickets. You know, they 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 expect yeah. they expect YouTube crap. You know, like the stuff they expect. How have you seen the comedy crowds change over the years? Because you've been on the road for twenty nine years. You've been headlining a big majority of that. You've played big places. You've opened for big acts. You've been on TV. How have you seen crowds change? And is it is it something that you do you think they'll keep changing? Yeah, I think so. But you know, uh, at the end of the day, Steve, I think funny is funny. Like even because I remember, like when I was a kid, like I, I don't know why they make it so divided now. Like I remember when I was a kid growing up, most of the comics on TV were like those guys, like Rodney Dangerfield and like you know Nipsey Russell. Like all those guys were older dudes. But I remember being like seven years old and laughing my ass off. Like these guys were still funny. Like that was still funny stuff. And why shouldn't it be enjoyable? Like, if funny's funny, everybody should laugh at it. Like, I'm thinking, not, you might not have everything in common with, you know, like millennials and, you know, older people, but I don't know. To me, like, funny's funny, and and I see, like, some young kids appreciate it, even though, like, I'm not really dirty. I think sometimes they want dirtier stuff, you know? But I know Cheryl Crow, I've heard, like, she stopped the show a couple months back and go, people, like, put your phones away. Like, enjoy this experience. Like, you're not going to look back at your phone, like, later on, or they're just going to post it and go, hey, look where I'm at, you know? I know, it is crazy. Go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was going to say, it is crazy with the phones when you're out. Like, even, you know, it's just like, come on, I mean, we're all we're all on our phones, but when you're going to see a comedy show, you're going to see a freaking comedy show or a concert. I mean, you might pull your concert and record it, but I never get that when people yeah. record the concert because I'm not going to watch it later. I mean, I'm a big Springsteen fan. I'm not going to record yeah. and then go, hey, look, this is a really crappy version of, uh, you know, Rosalie yeah. from behind someone's head. <laughs> oh, you re- I just said, did you read his book? That was a great book. I have it, and I'm, I'm, and I'm a huge fan. My girlfriend gave it to me for my birthday. I've gotten in... I'm, Starting to read it, I have to read it. Everyone says it's great, and uh, in fact, where I record the show in my office right here, it's right there in front of me. So now I'm gonna have to get back to reading it. Oh, good man! It was a, I really enjoyed it. I just finished it about a week ago, and I really and uh, I have a new appreciation for the guy. He was really good. I was always a fan, but I was like, like, oh wow! Now I like him even more. You know? Oh yeah, he's great. So so now, what do you like yeah. when you're when you're on a road to kill time? What do you do? I mean, you, you do you watch TV? Do you? I mean, it's so you know. It's got to be, you have to have a lot of free time. Well, you know what? Like, I think sometimes people assume that. A lot of times, like, uh, they want you to fly in the day before. Like, say the club's, like, Thursday through Sunday. You fly in Wednesday, and they usually have you do impress Thursday and Friday mornings. Like, they get you up early, and you do, like, maybe a couple radios, a couple TV shows, and then, you know, and you only had a couple hours sleep, so then you go back to your room, and you sleep a little bit, and then you, you try to... During the day, like, I'm, I'm like, making flights for my next gig. I'm looking for rental cars. I'm, you know, doing contracts. Like, you make calls to for more gigs. Like, you kind of keep busy. You have a lot to do, you know. Or if it's dead, you go see a movie, you know. But there's there's a lot to do, believe it or not. I think people think you just, you know, lay around with your thumb up your ass, you know. Right. But, um, <laughs> and you know what else I wanted to tell you? Uh that a comedy works in Denver, they have a thing now where you have to put your phone, you have to shut your ringer off, and you put your phone in this case, and they they lock the case. And you have to go back out in the lobby for them to unlock it. Like, they just, they go, hey, listen, 
this is the policy here. Like, there's no no recording. You can't talk on your phone. Like, and it's such. I think it's a great idea, and the audience agrees with it. Like, it's like it's 90 minutes. Like, if you can't, and they go, if you want to use your phone, come out in the lobby. We'll unlock the thing, and you can talk in the lobby. And to me, that's like, I think that has to be done to counter some of the shit people are doing. You know, because it ruins it for everybody else too. That's the thing. So yeah, we, like people didn't pay thirty dollars to see some idiot talk on his phone or take pictures or whatever, you know. And Jim Gaskin even said he goes, you know, these people come out and they record, you know, what you're like when you're trying out new stuff at an open mic night. Like you go out and you're trying shit out in the club because comics have to have a place to fail. Like we need a place to work on our bad stuff. And if somebody's putting that on YouTube, like oh, like Jim Gaffigan's bombing, like. He's not bombing. He's working on new material, and he's trying to flush it out so he can go on tour. And then when somebody records that and they put that up, that's awful, man. Like, I don't... That's one thing that upsets me, you know, and makes me pissed off. Like, people shouldn't do that, you know? It's bullshit. Uh, we got to wrap up in just yep. a few. Um, you're playing Borgata in uh, October. Do you like it playing AC? Yeah, man. There's a lot of good people there. I get a lot of love from the Italian people and everybody. I've been playing Jersey for years. You know, I used to play the Rascals, you know, by the Shore and in West Orange. And I love coming to Jersey. They treat me well there, man. You guys are good peeps. Now I see you're gonna you're you're coming up at Helium in Buffalo. Do you ever play the Helium in Philadelphia? No, you know, I was supposed to be there last year, and I got bumped for uh, JB Smooth, the guy who was the he was the host of Last Comic Standing. But I'm trying to get back there, and uh, I want that newspaper girl to come out to the TV reporter that got kicked out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did she get in trouble there in Philly? Dude, she wasn't even a reporter. Like, you read the thing. She was like a junior reporter and a PA. She, oh, Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia just uh, went ballistic on her. She, like, she had to go into hiding, because that's the one thing. People don't put up with that kind of crap. And especially, it was great to see that. That's what comics deal with all the time. There's so many idiots that come to these clubs. Yep, yep. And when women are drunk, it's even worse because, like, you know, you don't want to get on them too hard. But man, hey, like that could be rough, you know. Oh, it's crazy. But uh, so anyway, man, I, I'm glad we got to do this. I want to thank you for coming on. Now, your website is Rocky Laporte. People, that's R O C K Y L A P O R T E dot com. People, you can find all his info. All your dates are in there. You have a full calendar. Um, what, anything else special coming up for you that you're 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 pretty happy about? Uh, we're shooting something in the fall, man. I, I don't, I'm not even sure what network. I think it's going to be like on a Netflix thing. We're shooting something in Utah in September, and people will be able to see that. Like, I'll, I'll get the information and get it on, on my website, too, you know. But my website will have all the dates, and I'm playing all over the country, and I'll, I'll be everywhere. Great. Well, people, people, check out Rocky. I want to thank you, Rocky. People, go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 620 episodes up there. Email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Cooper Talk. You can catch up with me there. Um, yeah, just a bunch of stuff going on. Don't forget, uh, Instagram is Cooper Talk One, and I put a lot of pictures of food up because you know I went through that health problem a few years ago, and I wrote a cookbook so you can go get my cookbook. It's low sodium. It's called Stop the Salt. It's low sodium cooking for one without killing yourself. It's 120 easy recipes. No pictures, so you won't get intimidated. None of that, you know, long list of ingredients, none of that stuff. It's easy to make stuff. You can get it at StopTheSalt.com or you can get it at Amazon.com. If you get it at Amazon.com, I make less money. If you get it at StopTheSalt.com, 
I'll sign it and send it to you and I make more money. So people, please keep listening. Please go check out Rocky. Go on YouTube. See some of his old his bits. He's a funny guy. And uh, go see him live. He has a full uh, schedule going at RockyLaporte.com. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next week.